Welcome to Milk and Meat Livestream. We're doing a Q&A tonight. I'm uh, Sean, your host. I'm accompanied by my lovely wife. Hey, guys. I'm Lindsay. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, sweetie. Shabbat Shalom, babe. Guys, this is part of uh, Kingdom in Context. Appreciate you guys that are um, subscribed and sharing our videos. If you're not, do do that already. You know, hit that subscribe, share the videos. Um, we're tonight going to be addressing some live questions. But first, we kind of wanted to give an update. Uh, we talked about a fundraiser. So I wanted to let everyone know that the fundraiser we're doing for Casey Marie, um, we've gotten really close to our goal, right? So it's yes. probably um, the last time we'll mention it. Yeah. So basically, this sister is a single mother of three, and she lost her whole home and her vehicle in the tornadoes um, in Tennessee last December. And so we've been just putting the word out for her. She made a fundraiser on a site called Gifts and Go. Um, and we're putting the word out for her um, to try and help raise around $10,000 to help her get another vehicle and also just a couple of months rent. Um, and we are at a little over $9,000 on that fundraiser. So as usual, the body of Messiah has really pulled through. And if you feel moved and led to go ahead and donate a little more to that, just to get us to that goal, um, that would be we would just really appreciate that. Yeah, so. information's in the video description below. Um, I added it recently, so you may have to refresh your screen to see it, but ultimately, everyone, everyone watching after the live stream will definitely see it. Uh, we also wanted to update everyone that um, we just released uh, four new books for the uh, contextual study guide. So we just released Testament of Simeon, Titus, Jude, and Galatians. Ooh. Have you read Galatians? I, you know, I think I have. Have you? I think so. You, you know, you talk about that law so much. I don't know. You should probably read Galatians. <laughs> I might need to go refresh my memory. So, guys, yeah, we released for early access. Um, we released, uh, for those of you guys, all that information is down below in the video description. But uh, we released those four books. And the last one I just released today was Galatians. So, yeah, you can uh, ha you can flip quickly to any book. In fact, I'll show you real quick. Um you can flip to your to your uh, favorite controversial passage and just immediately start digging in into the book of the Galatians here and uh, just make it as easy as possible to try to understand the context of what's being talked about at any point um, in the book. And so you realize it's not as scary as uh, people try to make it. And it definitely does not debunk the very basic definition of discipleship, which is to do the commandments and to keep the behavior of the creator Yahweh and his son Yeshua. That's right. So it's very simple, very easy. I go through the whole book. Uh, hopefully you guys who have access to that will be, have a blessing uh, to you for that. Um, I'm sending the email list out later after after the show tonight. And uh, other than that, yeah, we're excited. Um, what else did I want to announce tonight? Uh, you have a couple shows coming Oh yeah, up. yeah, Sunday guys. We're gonna have a fun round table on Sunday with uh, Ken Heiderbrecht, Wes Blaze Jones, Matthew Jansen, and our brother Josh from Founded Earth Brothers. Yay. So we're going to have a fun little good time, good, good time and talk about things that the church teaches that aren't actually in the Bible. Okay. So that's going to be fun time um, since we all have experience with church. I mean, Matthew is uh, actually a pastor of a church right now. So yeah. uh, he, he doesn't teach these things at his church. Right. But he I had to say mainstream. Yeah, I don't know. Who's he like, like most of us, he's also had exposure to churches that do teach this kind of stuff. So keep your eye out for that on Sunday. And then also we got a special surprise that we've been working on for several months for the contextual study guide project. 
um, pertaining to, yeah, it's a special surprise. I, tell, I guess that's all I can say. And um, hopefully, Lord willing, within the next week, I'll be able to announce that. And um, and that's going to be something hopefully you guys would think is super fun. Um, other than that, I say we just, you know, if you guys have questions, you want to ask us a question, you can do so by putting all capitalization, your question in the live chat. That way, myself or the moderators can easily see it and they know that you're ta talking to us. That's how we know that you're talking to us. All capitalization. So um, you guys are welcome to ask your questions and we'll do our best to answer them according to scripture in context. Imagine that. Yeah. So that's that's the way it goes. All right. First question we have coming in from Jody Zip. Hi, Mrs. Zip. She's asking Jude 1 9 with a dispute over Moses' body described in any other scriptures. Uh, from what I've been told, and um, I need to go back and read it again, I think it's been described in the Apocalypse of Moses, hmm. uh, which was, I, I haven't really had a chance to really vet out the history of that book and what's going on. So unfortunately, I can't speak to its legitimacy, but um, it's one that we probably need to put on the list for um, Honor of Kings. Yeah. So, all right. I'd be interested in that. Jen T is asking, what are some scriptures I could share with someone that needs deliverance? and or instructions on how to handle unclean spirits they believe they're dealing with. Thank you. You want the, I, I, I have a quick answer, but uh, I like, if you want to allow, okay. Teach them the commandments. So the reason why they're susceptible to the unclean spirits is because they're doing the behavior of the enemy and not the behavior of the father. When they do the behavior of the father, they gain the authority spiritually and physically, the purity, so they can resist, take authority over, remove from their lives, teach them the commandments. So all the verses that pertain to the commandments, that's a great place to start as far as what is discipleship? What is walking with Yahweh? So when they start walking in that fullness, then they can start to see literally, they can be, how do I put this? The, the okay, so 1 John 2, 3 talks about if you love Yahweh, you're going to do his commandments. Yeshua, our Messiah, walked perfectly in the commandments of his father, Yahweh. So he says in John chapter, 15, uh, John chapter 15, verses 8 through 11, that if you love, you know, he kept his father's commandments and abided in his father's love. So likewise, we should keep the same things that Yeshua taught, which was his father's commandments, so we can abide in that same love, and then our joy will be complete. Well, a part of that is going and doing the behavior of the father and the son, gives you the spiritual authority, gives you... That, that, that hedge, if you will, that hedge of protection, that safeguard, that uh, favor of God. Like it literally is the blessings of the covenant. You're doing the instructions of the covenant, which are the commandments. So therefore, you then have the favor and the blessings of the covenant, which is to have authority over things that try to harm you. Unclean spirits are included in that, which is why Yeshua walked around and took authority over unclean spirits everywhere he went. Same with the apostles after, um, after he taught them how. So that's what I would encourage is actual true discipleship. There's a lot of just going to church is not disciple. Going into a building, sit in a pew and listen to a sermon is not discipleship. You actually have to go and apply these things to your heart and your mind. So a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people in life, and there's a lot of deliverance ministries out there that go into churches and do deliverance. Mm -hmm. Remember, they're going into mainstream churches whom just because the people sit in those pews and have been or have been raised in that church. I was raised in church. Doesn't mean the people around you actually are discipling into the behavior of God. So there's a, you know, <laughs> there's a difference. There's a difference. So anyone can sit in a pew and be quiet for an hour and then go home. See what I'm saying? And, and be considered a member of a church. I met a guy when I was 27 years old. I met a guy that had been going to church for five years at this specific church. And he was, it was a bigger church in Tulsa. 
and he actually was a, a camera operator for the for the main one of the main services on Sunday morning. And he knew everybody. He's a great guy. And the year that I met him in this this uh, men's group that we were a part of for this Bible study, he came to Christ and got saved, like truly had an awakening moment to what this means. Why, you know, why I should give my heart to him, why I should start adopting my behavior fully. Like he had a full, full actual salvation moment. And he acknowledged to all of us in the Bible study, guys, I was sitting in church for five years and no one ever asked me if I truly was saved or knew Jesus. And I didn't, and it only hit me one day that I didn't. And I, that I never truly gave my heart to him. I just thought it was nice. People were nice here. So I kept coming back. Yeah. So yeah, this is where deliverance ministries can sometimes give people the wrong impression because they'll go into churches and deliver demons out of people. And you, but in most people's common ideas, like everyone that walks into a church is somehow good. You know what I mean? That's yeah. like this weird, superficial, general public idea of misunderstanding of scriptures and what it really means. So that's discipleship is what I would say immediately. Yeah. Um, I think of the scripture where Paul said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how do we resist the devil? We do the behavior of the father rather than the behavior of the devil. So that would be my two cents to add to that. Yeah. Good question. See Marie is asking, is baking soda or baking powder considered leaven? I'll take this one. You should take this one. Because I've been learning all about bread making lately. and because you're an amazing cook. Thank you. Milling our own flour and all that. Um, no, those are not leaven according to scripture. Um, our modern definition of leaven is just the process of puffing something up. Um, and there's, I mean, even eggs are something that can puff something up that you cook on, on a pan or in, in the oven. So the leaven of scripture, I'm still searching this one out. I'm learning more and more about um, what's called starter dough. And that would have been what they had back then that they used to, quote, leaven their bread, specifically their bread. Um, and this starter dough, um, I guess it's mis mixing little flour and little water and you set it and let it start to ferment. And the fermentation is what makes it yeast as we would call it um that would leaven the bread so that is what is specifically being referred to in all the commandments about not eating anything leavened and removing the leaven from our homes i still i'm still searching out the matter of do do then people who have these starter doughs that do sourdough do they throw that out of their house or not i'm still setting that one out because i'm starting to see that may not be the case you may actually just let that rest quote unquote for the seven days and not make anything with it not sure how that really goes as of right now if you're cur curious about what to avoid during the seven days of unleavened bread i'm trying to keep it real simple and i'm just sticking with bread and bread products made with yeast so that would just be loaves of bread buns hot dog buns hamburger buns and pretzels and bagels um, I'm not worried about crackers or cookies or cakes or anything that's puffed up or tortillas because they get a little bit puffed when they're cooked or anything like that. So that's where I'm, I've settled <laughs> as far as what leaven to stay away from, quote unquote. Um, and absolutely also just always remember to really be focused on searching your own heart for the leaven of the Pharisees. That is hypocrisy and knowledge that puffs up <laughs> is how I like to think about it. So no short answer no baking powder and baking soda are not leaven and yeah and i'm 
since it is the feast of unleavened bread, we must we must go. Yeet. <laughs> Do I? Is, are you Sorry. referencing a joke you've made before that yes. I'm forgetting now? Okay. Yes. Yeah, you can uh, open your front uh, door and just throw out throw out your leaven while yelling yeast. Okay, so guys, um, we have another question here. Carla Marburg is asking in Psalm 104, speaking of creation, if so, is verse 9 talking about the end of the earth being the boundary since we're covered by the firmament? Um, well, we can go look at it real quick. Let me see here. All right, so I'll put this on screen for us. Now there's a some famous verses in here. Um, all right. So verse once, uh, bless the Lord my soul, O my Lord my God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent, laying the beams of his chambers in the waters above. Oh, is that in space? Those, all those waters in space. Those are just living. We have a space Jesus. Um, oh, isn't it out in the Oort cloud now? Oh, yeah. Well, that's frozen frozen water oh. and ice, you know, asteroid ice and all that nonsense. Oh. So that's that's what they say the Oort cloud is, even though they've never seen it. <laughs> they say that must be where all these asteroids come from. Um, yeah. Anyway, and that's if you believe their definition of an asteroid. <clears throat> so laying the beams of his chambers in the waters above, making a cloudish chariot, walking on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers and flames of fire his servants. Now, I always thought this was interesting. I always wondered if they should have chosen the Hebrew word for wind, which is also the same as the word for pneuma, spirit in the in the uh, Greek. Mm, um, yeah. If it should have been for angels, you know what I'm saying? Because those are spirits. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of synonymous in verse 8, verse A, in the Septuagint, it says he makes his angels winds. I was just going to say, what's yeah. the Septuagint say? <laughs> yeah. So it's just little stuff like that. You got to. You just learn over time. He set the earth on his foundations, never to be moved. He covered it with the deep like a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valley sank to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, that they may never again cover the earth. All right. So I don't know if this is speaking in this context about the firmaments. It sounds more like it's speaking about the actual undulation of the seafloor compared to the you know, uh, ascending undulation going up to the shoreline of the continents so that it's not the same topography from before the flood, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. So because if, uh, there's a unique passage in the book of Enoch that talks about Enoch's vision of seeing, or excuse me, Noah's vision, because the book of Enoch is comprised of multiple scrolls. One of those scrolls is the, is the book of Noah. And so in that particular passage, it's talking about how Noah sees a vision of the flood that's coming in a dream, and he's all worried because he saw the land and the mountains uh, rising up and the land, other parts of the land falling down um, great depths, right? And mm -hmm. then all of it being covered by water, um, and even a piece of the heaven being borne off, moved over, and dropped down. We'll talk about that later. So I'm going to do an entire special series on Enoch coming up later. So guys... Um, I personally think this is just talking about the topography of the land as far as in, in relationship to the depths of the sea versus the shoreline so that they'll never have a flood again. But that's just me. That makes me think about all those uh, shows on History Channel about the mystery pyramids of the deep waters and the oceans. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. It's not a mystery, really, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, supposedly in the in the Gulf of Mexico, 
um, just you know south of I think they said it's like 90 miles uh, west of Tampa Bay they're supposedly a mile deep on the bed of the floor of the Gulf of Mexico um, a series of pyramids I you know it. so it's very possible especially when you consider the flood okay the next question is from Chris Hanks he's asking if five wives excuse me if five wise virgins enter into say that fast right five wise virgins in Zion enter in because they keep Torah and the other are cast to darkness where do the one the ones not keeping Torah but died before go aren't they the same as the five foolish um well just just for clarity's sake by the way Chris Hanks it doesn't say that the five foolish virgins were cast into darkness it just says they weren't let into the wedding banquets um so either way without getting too deep onto that minute point um yes the five foolish versions are ones that did not know him that was about the, the end of that parable was that uh you know the kingdom of heaven is the bridegroom tells them i don't know you well how do you not know jesus well that's if you're not doing his behavior if you're not acting like him walking as he walked uh discipling with his behavior then that's how you don't know him uh same with matthew 7. and so very simple. It's just those, the, the, the women who had their oil prepared and the extra oil, that's the women that were doing the commandments, right? They were storing up treasures, right? Uh, the women who did not, those are people that were not walking in covenant behavior, not doing the commandments, and they were not, did not have a circumcised heart to disciple after Yeshua. All right. Mountain Mama's asking, is, is it celebrating Easter to join one's family for a meal? In on Easter Sunday, I'm trying. Okay, I don't. I got cut off, but can they celebrate? They're asking if they can. Yeah, I got, get it. I just want to make sure if she put the rest of the question down here anywhere. Okay, so um, yeah, if you're gonna go over to their house to have a meal, um, I mean, if they're like, unless they literally force you to get up from the table and start doing Easter egg hunts with them, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Look, the reality is, guys, I'm gonna be firm on this. The holiday of Easter is a Christian holiday. It started in the Christian church. And so the things that are associated with like bunnies and eggs, that stuff, I'm not encouraging anyone to participate in that. And I'm not saying that those behaviors are okay. There are a lot of mainstream Christians who aren't Torah Christians who agree that the eggs and the bunnies have nothing to do with what they're celebrating, which is the resurrection of Jesus, which was the original reason for the holiday that came about from the ancient yeah. Catholic Orthodox Church. Okay? Well, I say before that in the second century. That's so. just the, yeah, that's just the history of it. Yeah. Well, that they can yeah, call the Pesach meal. They, and there's, that, that's why so many Christian churches today do not put up bunnies and eggs and they just talk about the resurrection. Right. And so it's not, you're not celebrating. If you're having, if people who are doing Easter aren't celebrating a pagan festival, the, it's a lie. All the, the rumors out there are just rumors about it's a zeitgeist thing um, accusing Christianity of stealing things from pagan religions when a lot of that stuff actually isn't true. It doesn't stand up to actual historical research, historical scholarship. We can argue about how wrong the doctrines of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church are all day. All right. But as far as the motives they had for starting certain holidays, the motive was innocent. All right. It, it's the, the relationship. The the there's, yeah, there's a history of between the early Christians and the Jews and the separation there. And there's there's context involved. So for everyone to, to walk around just saying, oh, the Catholic Church just copied all these holidays to make it easier to convert pagans that you're you're slandering your ancient brethren. But the reality of 
you know, that's the reality well, of that. Also, I'd so, go look in the Zeitgeist Debunked by right. Chris White. Yes, Chris, Chris White. White. You need to understand a lot of that stuff comes from the Zeitgeist movement, from atheist people, from New Agers. It's not actual Christian scholars and actual church history that's literally written down for us, guys. So we can argue about whether or not we like the church, but they kept, you know, a lot of meticulous history of things. So you can go look at that history and you can relax that you can go share a meal with your family on their Easter Sunday. And why don't you invite them for a Shavuot uh, in what, 55, 58, however many days Shavuot's going to be around. I mean, the answer is it's not celebrating a pagan festival if you're going over to your family's house on Easter Sunday and celebrating Easter itself isn't necessarily the issue. It's some of the traditions that have been adapted into Easter that's the problem. So because originally they called it the Pesach. That's where it the word was, came from yeah. originally, which is means Passover. Guys. Yeah, it's not another name for Ishtar. These are things that come straight from New Age people who hate the Bible and hate the God of the Bible. So when we spread those when we spread those rumors, we are in agreement with the enemy, all right? So the whole issue of doctrine of the Catholic and Orthodox churches is a separate issue. Yeah. Their holidays can be traced to where they really started from. So let's try and be intellectually honest about these things. Yep, and just treat them with love. You uh -huh. know what I'm saying? Like we say. Actually, um, you know, a great video to go check out, Mountain Mama, in addition to our answer, is some, go into, it's part of our Milk and Meat playlist, <laughs> and it's called... What if, what if my friends and family don't keep Torah? Is that what we called it? Or I how think, do I treat my friends and family who don't keep Torah? One of those. <laughs> yeah. It, but it's in our Milk and Meek playlist here on the channel. And um, and we spend a good hour and a half talking about these type of topics. Like, how do you handle it when, you know, you have people still not understanding the history of these things, not understanding the fullness of the commandments of God, yeah. and still being in a lot of man-made doctrines? And how do you interact with them? And what's a good, you know... Because ultimately, if you just treat them like they have the plague and you act like they're, you know, they're somehow horrible or like they don't love Jesus, you're yeah. just going to push them away. You're going to lose your opportunity to, so they can hear the fullness of the truth from you. So please go check out that video. I think you'll enjoy it. The Flawless is asking, I'm 15. Do I have a still have a guardian angel? Well, I would say uh, we got stories like in Genesis of Jacob to the point where he was like 60 something still had an angel that was helping him. True. So the father, like we read earlier from Color Marlboro Express question from Psalm 104, the father has his ministering angels. He sends out to mankind. It's also repeated in Hebrews 114. This, they, they don't discriminate based on age. So the, you don't age out of God's protection and having a guardian angel for your life. So just be encouraged. Um, Megan was, I'm not sure. The translations say various between youth, young man to child. So I really don't know. Um, I'm not sure if it, there's a huge implication there, but uh, I'm guessing if it, if there's any precedent for prophets that we see from Elijah to Elisha, um, it's very possible that he was at least 20 years old, which was still considered a youth yeah. in, in ancient culture. Honestly, the older I get, right. the more I'm like, oh my gosh, these are kids. They're babies. Yeah. I look at like when I was 25, I was such a baby. I had no clue. Yeah. No clue how, how immature I was. Um, country kids asking, since I've been watching the Babylon series, do you think all that happened then will happen again? Well, not only will it happen again, it's happening again on various levels and different ways throughout the countries around the earth. So, yes. Yeah, I think that's their that's been their ultimate goal since they had it ruined back at the Tower of Babel. They want to reunite under all that. So. We're trying to get back to that same control level. 
um, which means they will institute open idolatrous worship again, uh, which is what I show in that series. I'm not sure how far into that series you are, but um, Real Nazarene is asking, what exactly did our Messiah mean by his own words in Matthew 5.39 and 5.44? Can you provide a situation of how we can live this out? Thanks. Okay, well, what's up, Rebel? I think if it's the same Rebel, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Um, let me see if I can uh, pull this up real quick, because there's two different passages. Kind of an open-ended little question here, 5.39. Okay. Okay. And then 544. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree with all of this because <laughs> it's, it's Yeshua's words, but uh, you're asking exactly what did he mean? Why did you Messiah mean what he's saying to love your enemies to the point where sometimes you don't go eye for eye, tooth for tooth. For one, I would suggest to folks to under, go see my morning cup of context video, um, eye for an eye, mm -hmm. where I break down that it's about judicial equity as far as the judges would have decided a monetary value based on the loss of property or injured, harmed person. It's not literally someone accidentally pokes your eye out, you go poke their eye out. It's not, that's, it was an idiom. It was a phrase used for judicial justice that was applied to a situation. So Yeshua is saying, instead of always seeking through judicial justice, what does he say? The rich people drag you into court, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But he was saying, I, I want you to love people. I want you to, you know, forgive them and, you know, forgive your brethren. Um, I would suggest strongly that this is saying, look, sometimes we don't always need to take it and get compensated yeah. as we deserve. Sometimes you got to let it go yeah. because even if you get financial compensation for an evil person who slaps you on the right cheek, that doesn't mean that you're going to, uh, that doesn't mean that it's going to solve your heart that you've forgiven him for that aggression. So I would suggest that he's, he's obviously, paralleling or not paralleling he's contrasting the judicial law and how it would have been applied towards someone that had been um injured or harmed or attacked and he's saying sometimes you got to let it go and if you know he wants to take your tunic let him have your cloak as well well it depends on the scenario you got a yeah. lot of them you got a lot of cloaks at home are you available are you ready is he doing it because he needs help right it says if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, right? Well, it just depends on, all right, well, look, you don't have to sue me. Here's my tunic and my cloak, right? Because I, you're trying to create peace. Remember what he talks about? I think it's in Matthew 5, 18. talks about if someone uh, has anything against you, you know, before you offer your sacrifice, go and make peace with your brother and then go off your sacrifice. So, yeah. again, he's still talking about, look, even though in Matthew 5, 38, the law could have justified you to go and get a lawsuit against this guy and get compensated. You don't always think like that, right? Instead, try to make peace with them first. So if someone wants to take your your tunic, right, um, as well as your cloak, I would say it depends on the circumstance. You want to really weigh it out, right? Let's put it in a more modern, modern term, okay? They want to sue you and take your car and your house, right? Do you owe them? Do you actually owe them is the question. Right. That's the part no one ever asks in this in verse 40. Right. Is the person being sued? Do they actually owe them something or is this a false lawsuit? If it's false, then obviously defend yourself. If it's not true, you don't let people steal from you. If they don't need it and they're just trying to sue you because they're greedy and they're thieves. Well, stand up for what's right. If you ran over their kid. Consider yourself, at, you know, obligated 
to compensate them. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And what he's trying to say is, instead of just looking for the, you know, the exact retribution, sometimes in order to make peace with that person, go above and beyond, which is why he says in verse 41, if someone forces you to go to one mile, go two miles with them. So he's basically saying, look, this sometimes will create peace above and beyond the required retribution within the standard of the law that would have been adjudicated by the judges. Uh, same thing for verse 44, because that person then who comes to sue you may view you as an enemy and may have horrible words for you and they may need your prayers. So I would, it's right that our Messiah tells us to pray for our enemies. That's my take on it. It's reminiscent um, of the proverb about being kind to your enemy and that heaps, um, right. heaps coals onto their head. So this isn't a New Testament concept. Also, we can view this through the same kind of lens that we would view a passage like Yeshua talking about um, he who doesn't hate his wife or his brother or his children yeah. is not whatever that one is. He talks about hating your wife. Well, we know we're, men are also commanded to love their wives. So we can look through it in the lens of obviously Yeshua is not speaking with a literal sense of you have to let a person stand and batter you and you're not allowed to you know, defend yourself from being battered. Um, so that's just kind of what I had mulling through my head when you were talking about that. Yeah. Um, Caleb Brooks is asking, when and what is the next feast day you guys are observing? Today. Today's the Sabbath. He said besides the every week Sabbath yeah, day. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm just excited <laughs> to remind people Leviticus 23, 1 through 3. The weekly Sabbath is a feast as well. But this will also be on uh, on Monday evening going into Tuesday evening, which will be the last day of Unleavened Bread, which is also a Sabbath. So that'll be the next feast day after today. Yeah, something that pe people seem to really glaze right over is that Leviticus 23 starts with the weekly Sabbath. So everybody thinks that that, that chapter is about the, quote, high Sabbaths, which that's also not a term that's in Scripture. That's a term from Judaism. I wouldn't say that there's any Sabbath necessarily that's higher or holier than the other. They're all holy. They're all, especially the weekly Sabbath. That's our weekly reminder. Depends on what kind of ancestors you're Of the kingdom. I mean, I guess you there are Sabbaths. There are Sabbaths that call for a lot more food and a lot more festival, I guess. Um, but yeah, the whole context of Leviticus 23 is his Sabbaths. That's so. right. Amen, sweetie. Janine or Jenny Lee, excuse me, she's asking, was Shua a Pharisee? No, uh, the Pharisees actually talk about who is this man who's untrained. Yeah. Um, there's two schools of training for the Pharisees and Sadducees. I can't remember the names. One of them's Halal, the other one I can't remember. Um, he was not a Pharisee. He was not of their ilk. He was untrained. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul explicitly says that he left Judaism and his position as a Pharisee where he was so zealous to follow Christ. So I don't think that he was a Pharisee at all. Yeah, big, big warning. Just FYI, there are a lot of people who end up going the route of denying Yeshua who start with that kind of argument where they start walking around. It seems like they've been influenced by some Judaism. There are arguments from Messianic Jews that go through and show where Yeshua is keeping oral Torah and he's teaching from this rabbi and that rabbi and those kinds of things. So just if there, if you're hearing any kind of that teaching around anywhere, just, you know, take it with a shaker full of salt. Use your discernment with that. Yeah. And go watch my Kingdom Cast series, um, New Testament Context for Pastors, because yeah. I review Matthew and all the different places where he addresses the Pharisees. 
um, showing that they were not they were teaching oral Torah, which was not the commandments of God. Yeah. And Yeshua was reprimanding them for that. Yeah, if he was one of them, they sure as heck didn't like him and didn't have the same teachings as him. So yeah. I don't know who he would have been training under. Uh, Corey Fowler is asking, Lindsay, is Ezekiel bread on your approved bread list? I'm sprouted grains. I guess I'm wondering what you mean by approved because I they it wouldn't be approved for the week of unleavened bread because there is yeast in that bread. But as far as approved, as far as healthy, from what I've been seeing, it sounds like it's a good healthy bread. We actually before we got our before we got our bag of grains, uh, we had bought a loaf of the Ezekiel bread, and then we realized <laughs> we were about to get rid of all the yeast bread of our house. Anyways. Um, as far as I know, that's a healthy bread. That's what I've heard. So, but I'm not an expert on bread. I'm like a total noob, actually. So, don't take what I say. Take what I say with lots of grains of salt. <laughs> Hi, David. Um, Go to verse for addressing Calvinism: Genesis six, one through four. The angels rebelled. The angels were about we talked about this last week so i'm not going to harp on it too much please yeah. go check out last week's q a as well we, we went into a little more depth on this but yeah angels were made to live in heaven which there's only god's torah done in heaven there's they were all designed to live forever and there's uh angels that will be destroyed in the lake of fire and will not live ever again when their judgment comes and that was not how they were created or intended and so this is i know i know a calvinist will try to come back with we'll see but he knew they were going to transgress so we created them for destruction Nope, he created them to live forever, and he tells you that in 1 Enoch 15. So maybe 1 Enoch 15, 1 through 5, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, good place to start. But yeah, it's a it's a deceptive man-made doctrine, brother. Stay away from tulip and Calvinism. No, Tracy Jones, I did not have time to no, finish. No, he missed it. <laughs> yeah, I did not have time to finish. I really wanted to this week. I, tried, I had it scheduled like three different times, but I just had a super busy week with all kinds of things you're going to know about is in the coming months as everything comes un, undone so or comes out in the public so working on a lot of things behind the scenes guys all right um let me see here oh, i think the mods may have already got them yeah, they must have they had to have. oops they must did they i don't know i would think they did check out watch out mods please for the uh <laughs> for the spam North Stars is asking, would you be interested in a dialogue about the 42 months? Um, I, you know, you're welcome to email me at Kingdom in Context, uh, which it should be in the video description below, but Kingdom in Context at Gmail. And that's where I take, you know, questions and inquiries for uh, discussions, debates, things like that. Um, I just can't promise you that I'm, you know, I, I did a whole series called Investigating Babylon, uh, breaking down the 42 months. And I'm going to be doing another series called 42. Um, and it's where not I'll called be... 21? Nope. Oh, it's 21 parts. Just don't right? give away the goods, baby. Just, relax. Just simmer down. I thought it was called 21. Down. Don't give away all the, all the, all the fun stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Margaret Decina, what exactly is the unpardonable sin? Also, is there an Older Testament context for it? Um, so I do review this in New Testament context for pastors. And if you look at the context for it, it's basically claiming um, something that the Holy Spirit did in giving the credit to the enemy, basically. So essentially, you are just utter blaspheming, disrespecting, slandering God and his power and his righteousness and virtue, and basically saying that all the miracles that he did, those are actually are what the devil is doing, right? So this you're just 
literally taking God's best show of love and mercy to mankind to give them good things and attributing it to it to the devil. So um, this is why it, it's it re- to do that requires a heart that already rejects God, which is why Yeshua tells the Pharisees who were doing that. Right. Yeah. That they were sons of Gehenna means the lake of fire. Yeah, that's yeah. It, what they were doing was they were rejecting him as the Messiah. So, and, the, and the father who sent him. Exactly. You reject him, you reject him the father. So, um, Nick Martin, I have an entire video, and it's under my, if you go to my tour apologetics playlist, it's the first episode I did in that. And I actually, that's where I start, is to show them that it's eternal. So you guys are welcome to check that out. And it's called, I don't remember what it's called, but it's it's in my tour. Are we finally at that number of videos yeah. that you're not remembering them encyclopedically yeah. anymore? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's called, uh, where's Hannibal? Hannibal knows them yeah, all. Yeah, I don't know. Hannibal <laughs> might know. I might look it up real quick. Um, Actually, I'm not sure Hannibal's in the chat tonight. Have you seen him? I, I think he's asleep right now because okay. of his time zone. Oh, yeah. He's in a different time zone. Um, all right, West Blaze. It's all you. <laughs> let's see if I can find it real quick. Okay. I would I'm say about to find it. One second. While he's doing that, yeah. I would say the first place to start is whenever the person is ready. This is tour. Like if someone's actually looking into it and stuff. If you're just walking into someone's life who you think is needs to be keeping Torah and they haven't expressed any kind of interest in that and you just start throwing scripture at them, that's not going to be helpful. Okay, Nick Martin, I just put it in the chat. Um, it's called The Path to Eternal Life. And uh, hopefully that blesses your brother. Move along real quick. Uh, all right. Uh, Himala Max is asking, "How are we strong in Christ yet we are weak? Feel like I can't get anything right and always tired and failing, especially as a single mom. Although repenting daily, the amount of times is disappointing." Well, I think you actually described it pretty pretty well. That both weak and you're strong because you have a, a an advocate, a high priest, who hears that confession of repentance to then. Atone for your your mistakes, right? Your transgressions of the of his instructions. So the good news is, um, hopefully, you're aligning yourself and what you're repenting for with his instructions, his eternal law. Hopefully, you're not just making it up according to your own feelings. Yeah, I was gonna say. Therefore, you fall into unnecessary self condemnation. Yeah, like what exactly do you feel you're failing at? Do you feel you're failing at keeping the house as clean as you would like or getting the kids to their extracurricular activities on time or things like that. You know, if you're holding yourself to some standards, you know, that they're not biblical, the father isn't looking at you displeased with you because of those things. You know, so a lot of times we put a lot of that shame onto ourselves and we're feeling guilty about things that aren't actually sin and the father is not angry at us for. Um, he knows the struggle is real. He gave us his ways because he didn't want us to struggle. And, you know, the world, the state that we're in today where you have you are a single mom in the first place, where we live in a world where that's the norm in our society is because we've spent, you know, generations of straying from his ways. So just do his ways the best that you can and try to have the grace and mercy for yourself that the father does. So. I think that's one thing that sometimes people can get into the Torah crowd and start walking in the commandments and start feeling a lot of pressure from the community that we hang out in. So just try to remember that, you you know, that we are strong because of our Messiah. You have grace, you have mercy, 
you have um, a faithful high priest who is going to you know cleanse you of any unrighteousness so and as you get better at it that's how you get stronger yeah. and then at the resurrection you'll be ultimately strong because you'll have his behavior in your heart and you'll never sin again so it's gonna be wonderful so this is why we have that hope of the resurrection and that in itself is a strength and so don't don't forget that as well Corey feller um yes i mean you at the same time you know that everything i do every video i put up is a part of the only difference the reason why i moved away from talking in that specific series and why you know it, it just because it was my original goal with that was to was to show people it's not so scary but unfortunately the way the world has been indoctrinated with with misunderstandings about scripture from protestant churches and misunderstandings about the old testament from judaism's display of it the average believer, when they hear the word Torah, their mind clicks into a totally different realm. Yeah. They don't understand what you're saying after that. They think you're trying to get them to wear tallits, and suddenly you're a Jew. And so, like they just, they've been programmed so hard in this. Yeah. Um, as far as me creating videos that people can share with friends and family who are new to these ideas, and I'm trying, I was trying to figure out a way I can be say the same truths but just not make it so combative when you, the, the viewer, tries to share what we've put out. So that's why I stopped really putting stuff into that particular framing uh, of words. And now I still just obviously teach the fullness of discipleship, uh, which is Yahweh's Torah, his instructions. Uh, but the average believer, they really struggle with those words and the semantics involved. Same thing with all the interviews that I tried to do for that specifically. Um, the pastors really struggled to accept my invitation for an interview because they saw the word Torah. Um, and it just put them off or may, they, they, in their minds, I was immediately put into a box. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So um, this is what we've talked about in a broader scope for a long time on our channel, right? Is that it's a disservice. This is why the first in that series, all those interviews I did, the first question I asked both mainstream pastors who are not Torah observant, as well as Torah observant pastors. The first question I ask them all, what is Torah? What does it mean to you? Because there's a definition for it. It's very simple. It's God's instructions. So if you're not Torah observant and you hear the word Torah and you think it's some mystical other religion, you're completely wrong about the basic definition of the word from the Hebrew. It just means God's instructions. The same instructions Jesus followed and told us to follow. If you're Torah observant, and you think that you're in some special category because you use that T word, then you're also mistaken because you're supposed to be doing the same instructions as the uninformed mainstream church believer that's still sitting in a church pew. So on both sides, I was seeing that both both groups really struggle with this T word. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we got to make this more uh, relatable for both sides to come together because ultimately it's literally semantics that's dividing people. And this is what the enemy has just been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. He's taking very simple concepts and using semantics, wordplay, to get people arguing and fighting with each other. And in the modern day, with the revival and the resurgence and the mass awakening worldwide of people realizing the Bible and all of its fullness is applicable to them, he, the enemy's doing the same thing to try to squash that movement as much as possible with this T word. So just keep that in mind. Um, that's you know, that's the long answer. Sorry for the long answer. So 
Arden Vale's asking, is a vegetarian fulfilling the Passover requirements if they just eat a really tiny bite of lamb? You know, I would say that's a pretty good show of your faith if you are a vegetarian, especially if you don't like the taste of meat. I am too. so excited to talk about what we've been learning recently. And not now, but in the future. Okay. Specifically for for uh, you know the rise in vegans and vegetarians who are also scriptural believers who really struggle with this because they think they've been told that the meat is causing their health defects. So this is why they're well. They're I think there's this. a lot of people in our crowd who are going in the vegetarian route because they've been convinced that the scriptures say something about no about it. But this, yeah. person, this person is clearly acknowledging that they need but to eat I would, for the Passover. Yes, I would say that that you're that's actually great. The fact that you're not foregoing it altogether because you prefer not to eat meat, I think that's awesome that you would be willing to take just one tiny little bite. <laughs> yes. Yes, and at the same time, oh, I can't go into it. It would be just we're gonna do a whole. Uh, we're gonna, probably gonna do a whole shows on in the future, guys, yeah. but. You said we need to learn more first. So yeah, well, we, I mean, just even what we've already learned, it's like, oh, my goodness, this could help so many people. Uh, we just have to, as always, we want to be very, very versed in what we're talking about, especially if it's anything health related, because we're not doctors or nutritionists. So. Um, all right. Gilbert Sanchez, this is an actual assumption in the text. This is taught by a lot of mainstream churches. This is not what the text says. Um, he did not free the captives in those three days and take them with him to heaven. That's not the, uh, you have to look into a word called prolepsis. Prolepsis is a word that is a literary term, just like metaphor and simile and allegory. Prolepsis talks about something that is um, so sure that's going to happen that you can speak of it as if it's already happened. The New Testament is full of prolepsis with the New Testament writers talking about the work that Jesus accomplished pertaining to the day of the resurrection. This is another one right here. Okay. He did not literally take people from the righteous side of Sheol during those three days and take them to heaven. I think, I think the Seventh-day Adventists teach that. I think Catholicism, I don't know if Catholic, at what point Catholicism teaches that as far as when they believe the righteous souls got, went to heaven immediately with Jesus. But ultimately, that's not what the first resurrection teaches. So go to one of my first videos. It's on our new subscriber playlist. I do two full videos on the first resurrection. I break it down, the timing of it, so that you can understand that that was a man-made teaching that the scriptures does not describe. The captives that are being redeemed from Sheol, like Psalm 49, 7 through 15 talks about, and Psalm 16, 10, that is repeated by Peter in, in Acts 2, that process happens at the resurrection on the day of the Lord, the seventh trumpet, Go check those videos out if you have a chance. Um, West Blaze, I'm not sure what you're talking about, brother. You want to elaborate? I think we were talking earlier about, you were trying to remember the name of the video, and then I was joking about, since Hannibal's not there, now we oh, need okay. Wes to go okay. find the video. All right, Miss Marsha has a question. How are you doing, Miss Marsha? Welcome. She says, um, I guess this is one that Rich Wells asked earlier. I didn't see it, so... It says, I asked about where the best place is to find out how to accurately prepare for the feasts. Um, Exodus, Leviticus. Okay. I know, <laughs> yes, I, know, babe. I, know I know, I know, I know. Um, While we're in the dispersion, um, yes. 
it's it's you're you're doing a you're honoring the feast you're doing them in remembrance you're not keeping them as per the letter because you can't there are things that we can do to mimic the feasts like all of us eating our lamb and making our unleavened bread in our houses and having some kind of salad with a quote bitter herb we're mimicking all of those things picture if you have children uh picture your child walking around in your big shoes okay that's what we're doing while we're in the dispersion right now trying to um, imitate our Messiah as best we can without all the things that are required to keep these feasts to the letter. Real feasts um, of the Lord will require a priesthood and acting and receiving your sacrifice, your first fruit, your grain offerings, or whatever the appropriate context was for that feast, and then doing a service on your behalf with the temple, sanctified people coming to that temple, interacting with that priesthood, um, being accepted by God, so we cannot fulfill all those requirements because we are in a time period that was prophesied that the body of believers would be scattered everywhere under the heaven um, to the four corners of the earth. And so we're just doing it all as best we can, a memorial commemoration. Um, we've not made a specific video detailing what you should or shouldn't do or even what we do right. because we don't want people to think that that's in the scripture because yeah. it's, we're just doing our best to commemorate. So we, we look, we have to study. That's why... It's kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of joking, but I'm serious. If you haven't read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, to, to start really studying what they did for the feasts and seeing what could apply to you that you can do in commemoration or memorial, knowing that you're, you know, you cannot, the Father knows that you cannot fulfill these according to how they were instructed perfectly, but you're doing your best. Just like I love the Book of Tobit. One second, I'm sorry. One second. The Book of Tobit is amazing. Chapter 2. The Tobit was from the tribe of Naphtali, invaded by the Assyrian kings. I think it's First uh, Kings 23 from Tiglath-Pileser or whatever his name was. He was taken over the Euphrates into the area of Assyria, into Ekbatana in the Medes area. And he and his wife were under persecution. They were in exile. They were outside the land of Israel. And they were still keeping Shavuot simply by cele a celebration meal. They just cooked a meal and said, this is our Shavuot meal. And they tried to have it together. You see what I'm saying? And that's in the book of Tobit, which used to be in your Bible, by the way, for the 1800s. So. Yeah, the best preparation that you can do for any feast is make sure you've got the right days off of work for the, the Sabbaths, for the days that you're not supposed to work. And make sure you've got good food purchased before those Sabbaths. And just, you know, learn how to cook if you don't know how to cook, maybe. <laughs> But yeah, it's keep it simple. And or if you want to go all out and have decorations and, you know, have a big feast and make a big deal of it, make a big deal of it. Like it's it's kind of at your discretion with the way that things are uh, on this side of the resurrection. OK, Megan Watts is asking. This is a tough question, I got to say. Do you have any videos that review the meaning of the book of songs of songs or song of Solomon? Um, no. And honestly, I was just looking at this book the other day in reference to the study guide. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. It's tough. Oh, yeah. That is going to be. Um, the, the rabbis of Judaism revere this as a really, really important book in, in their belief of Judaism, which is really weird because there's not a lot of doctrine in it. It's it's very it's it, it, this is why people over over the years have been forced to interpret doctrine into it. Yeah. But what's plainly stated, it's very much not a lot of doctrine or instruction. 
um, not a lot of history. It's a story of poetry about love between a man and a woman. And, and so um, I know there's some other small parts in there, but the point is it's, it's, it's very tough. It's, it's a very tough book. And I just, you know, yeah, I'm going to, no, I don't have any videos on it. I'm sorry. Let's get that one. Um, no West plays. I can't talk about it. Not yet. Um, okay. Um, I, I don't even understand that question. Neither do I. I'm sorry, guys. Try to make your questions worded as plainly as possible so that I can read them. All right. Laura is asking, um, when the sun and moon stood still in Joshua 10, did the calendar change? Um, the whole calendar, uh, didn't it stand, did it, it didn't stand still for longer than a day, did it? 10 extra hours. Okay. It was considered a longer day. So when we understand biblical cosmology, the sun and moon move in a circumference in the firmament over our heads. If those things are the timepiece that determines the calendar day, stopping them just means you have a longer day. It doesn't change the calendar count. It's really simple. So I would say no. Yeah, uh, mods, if you can, please check the chat for spam. Really appreciate you guys helping us out tonight. Hopefully it's just, I don't know, hopefully it's just my system saying that we're behind. Uh, the Lawn Man. Uh, not to be too confused with the uh, 1994 Lawnmower Man movie with really bad CGI. There we go. <laughs> but uh, The Lawn Man, and we appreciate your question. Do not pray for the one who sins unto death? What sin would this be? Well, if it's the one in First John 5 that you're mentioning, it would also be in Deuteronomy chapter, the Jubilees chapter 33. Uh, and it would be the sin of sleeping with your father's wife. So both yeah. the wife and the, and the perpetrator both are killed that day before the sun goes down. That's another um, proof text for Jubilees yeah. being actual scripture because it's not mentioned yeah, in other not. books of the Bible. It's explained in Jubilees. Only in Jubilees. Mm -hmm. All right. Bonnie Miller is asking, I was raised to rebuke the spirit of fear. Why do deliverance, why or how do deliverance ministries come up with the names of spirits like Jezebel spirit? I believe they are Nephilim, but should I rebuke by name? Um, I've never seen a Jezebel spirit in scripture. I know that's a popular one in a lot of, a lot of those types of circles. But um, I know that um, that the only time I've ever seen in, in books that I would consider scripture, the Testament of Twelve Patriarchs talks about uh, spirits of, of envy and spirits of jealousy and spirits of rage and anger and murder. And, um, as the 12 sons of Jacob explained things throughout their life and how they were affected and overcome by temptations to do what's wrong and how they overcame those to, to eventually do righteousness. Right. Um, so I think it's been a long standing general colloquial idea about when people understand that there are unclean spirits trying to get you to do bad behaviors. Um, one of those, which is fearing, fearing is, is a behavior that is like scriptures say, it's impossible to have faith when you're in fear, right? Uh, cause you're not trusting the father. So this is why we want to practice being, you know, faithful in our mind and our heart and not being fearful or anxious for anything, but trying to think on what's good, what's right, what's holy, what's loving, you know, think on the, the promises of the father so that we can, uh, understand his perfect love, which casts out fear. Um, so 
just in the same way that many people have assumed that Psalm 11 and Revelation 1, that the seven spirits being mentioned, these seven spirits of understanding, wisdom, righteousness, all these things, that those are the seven archangels of God that stand before the throne of God. And therefore, they're what's the word? Like synonymous. Their behaviors are synonymous with a certain character trait. Um, but these are all just general terms of speaking. These are not their literal names, just as in with demons or unclean spirits. It's not their literal name. It's just a, a general way, a colloquial way of people referring to them being caught up in a bad behavior. Yeah, um, I think in mainstream Christianity, they see it a lot more as literal spirits. It's a literal personality that's assigned to you to cause you to fear. I, you know, I'm not sure that I see that particularly in scriptures. So as far as why or how they come up with these, all I can say is it's because they were taught it by someone else. It's the same reason you'll hear a, um, a pastor talking about a spirit of Leviathan as some wicked thing because they don't understand what the Leviathan actually is. So, yeah, you know, as far as walking around rebuking the spirit of fear, um, I suppose it's not a bad thing to do just as far as having a, 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 some words of affirmation you're speaking for yourself. Uh, but yeah, I can't, we can't necessarily answer why or how they come up with these names because. To me, it's, it seems like something that's been passed down to them that they've been taught. Lori Campbell's asking, do you have a tactful way to share with your mom and grandmother how we don't observe holidays like Mother's Day? It's such a difficult conversation. I want to be rude about it, yet firm. Um, no, I don't. Uh, we don't have a problem with Mother's Day. We took my mom on a trip for Mother's Day last year, and she had a really good time. Um, so... Here's the thing. We want to honor your mom and your grandmother every day of the year, but if it means more to them on one day, I'm okay with, I mean, there's nothing in scripture against it. There's nothing, there is the scripture to honor your your parents. So, um, the, guys, there is just so much misinformation online about where certain holidays supposedly come from. Um, and this is another one that I have, I hadn't seen Mother's Day attacked until the last like two years of my Torah walk. It didn't seem to be something that Torah people were getting very mad about as far as it being pagan. Now, all of a sudden, it's got these roots of this and that, you know, um, if you feel convicted not to keep Mother's Day, um, you know, that's between you and the father. And I guess my advice would be to pray to the father to give you the words that your mother and grandmother need to hear. I would encourage you that Mother's Day is not something that's sinful to participate in. Um, if I'm wrong about that, may the Father reveal it to me. So, Okay. Um, I think a man revealed, Eric is asking, is church revivals, are church revivals mostly fake? Um, you know, brother, I, I'm not going to put a blanket judgment over all of those types of events throughout all the years. I've heard the most incredible stories from revivals of people coming to Christ and having their life changed forever. And that, yes, unfortunately, that was still under bad dispensational doctrines. So I don't want to judge them and think that just because they're in a church that doesn't have good doctrine, that the person coming to Christ, I mean, yeah. drawn by Christ to have the Father revealed to them. Like, I don't want to I don't want to think that that's somehow disingenuous um, just because, unfortunately, they have bad teachers after their conversion moment, because it is the it's the goodness of God that draws people in. So I, I don't want to discount that or, you know, poo-poo on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and let, I'll let the father through his son be the judge of all that. 
Yeah, and the son said to the woman that he healed of the issue of blood, your faith has made you well. So, you know, I I have a sister in the faith and I know she is on fire for the Lord and she fully believes that she was healed of an injury at a Benny Hinn event. And so I look at that and to me, does that mean that Benny Hinn is not a false prophet or doesn't have bad teaching? Not necessarily. To me, that means her faith made her well. Yeah. She had such belief in that event that she was at that the the Lord heard her prayer and he her faith made her well. He healed her of it. So yeah. Sean and I really try to be real careful about those kind of blanket statements about people in the churches. So AR generation is asking, where the ancient were the ancient gods like Shiva, Zeus, real people possessed by an unclean spirit? Well, if you haven't seen my investigating Babylon series, I actually try to reveal to you that I believed um, the character, specifically Zeus, is whom the Hebrews referred to as the, the Satan character, uh, the dragon, Azazel. Um, that's that's whom the other nations, specifically the Greeks, popularized the, the temples of Zeus. Shiva would have been the Indian equivalent to Apollo who would have been the quote unquote, you know, son of Zeus, if you will, or part of their hierarchy of leadership. Um, he would be the person that's equivalent to a Ninurta or an Osiris, or also a Nimrod in the Hebrew, um, who would basically someone that submitted themselves to Satan's authority in order to rule the nations with him. And so, um, yeah, they were real people. <laughs> Literally, Satan is an unclean, he's a spiritual being, he's an angel, so yeah. he's unclean because he's doing works of wickedness and darkness instead of righteousness, like he was he was created to do. Um, same thing with with uh, Nimrod when he was alive, I would say. So, so yeah, hopefully that's a decent answer for you. All right, Brian Allen is asking, just wondering if the Israelites could go to the Levitical priest to be cured from leprosy, or did the priest only confirm when you were healed? So to my understanding, I think we talked about this in a long three, like two years ago in a Torah portion. They only went to them to confirm that they had been healed to be evaluated, reviewed, and then so. they had to shave everything and then wait another, you know, and then give their pre their gift to the priest and all that. And the priest would also go to their go out to them in their dwelling and inspect their dwelling right. for signs of leprosy. Yeah. So this is why to me it was you have like the story at First Kings five, you have the story of Naaman. Right. So he's he's still actively ongoing for a long time battling leprosy. Yeah. He's not been healed of it. But to me, I think that the way the father set up his tabernacle, set up his system of observance, that you would have naturally been healed if you'd have stayed in his behavior, his diet and around his powerful presence of his temple. Um, so therefore, that's why naturally people do get healed of this. And then they come to show themselves that they had been cleansed of it. The difference is. Like we just said, First Kings 5 with Naaman, he was not abiding in covenant behavior, right? He had a conversion moment yeah. after he was healed by the prophet. And then in the days of Yeshua, he's healing people with leprosy everywhere. Why? Because the Pharisees were teaching people not to do the commandments of God. Yeah. The priesthood in the temple was corrupted. And that was prophesied in the Testament of Levi and exemplified at Yeshua's death with the earthquake, with the veil being torn, showing that they were not keeping the actual law of God. Um, this is why they were persecuting prophets like John the Baptist. They were in utter rebellion with a facade of righteousness, which is why Yeshua tells us in Matthew 5.20 that your right behavior must be greater than the Pharisees' right behavior. So this is where, you know, they that whole that's why there's lepers everywhere. There's sickness and disease. There's people with unclean spirits everywhere. And like Mark chapter 1, when they watch Yeshua cast out a demon out of someone that was mute, they're astounded. They're like, who is this that has authority to teach like he does 
and to kick out this type of spirit, which we couldn't kick out. Yeah. Right. Because Yeshua was doing the commandments of God. So he was following the same. Mm. But I think we're back. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. We may have, now keep in mind, we may have been live to them the whole time, but to us, we were gone. So, oh, well, all right. Yeah. Well, long, I didn't do anything embarrassing. Yeah. Long story <laughs> short, guys, um, uh, Yeshua had to heal everybody because he was the only one walking around truly trying to teach people the right ways of the commandments in order for the power of God to follow on people and to heal people. That would have been the 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 entire scenario in Leviticus 14 and 15 with the act of temple, the priesthood, people doing the commandments properly so that they get a natural healing up from the father of that skin misappropriation or whatever it was. Um, and then to come up to the temple as clean. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you. I'm going to do a couple more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, appreciate the super chat. Thank you so much, Aleko. All right, Afika Man um, revealed, Eric, he's asking, which apocryphal books did you find healthy to devotion studies? Brother, if you haven't seen our Honor of Kings series, we go over quite a few in that book or in that series. It's in my playlist for Honor of Kings. Also, if you go to, it may, it may take a little bit of scrolling, but go to my community tab in my channel, Your Kingdom in Context, and scroll down. Um, I just don't have it readily available, but... Um, there, there's a lot of them. It's like 100 plus books, right? And the, the modern, the original American canon was 80 books. Um, there's another 20 or so that I think are very beneficial and perfectly match theology. And so, um, yeah, I would I would say all the books that used to be in the American Bible uh, that made it 80 books, as well as Jubilees and Enoch and Testament 12 Patriarchs. Um, that's another, what, 12, 13 right there. Yeah. Um, so there's there's quite a few, brother. They're in my uh, they're in my Patreon in my investigate or my contextual study guide list of books that I'm actually going to put in that study guide. All right, guys, I'm um, I'm running out of uh, words. How about you, sweetie? Yeah. Um about an hour and 15 minutes okay i guess someone's trying to ask a question i haven't seen it yet but they're asking for her Gabriel sanchez is asking about bad moses and baptism okay wait a minute mb mcnimmer is asking about the same thing here um I'll, baptism into my guys i i need like a like a full question yeah that um, doesn't make any sense i don't know we don't baptize anyone into moses um that's you're not that's not how that works um, baptism is a outward sign that you're comp you're confessing, repenting, and having a conversion moment to doing the discipleship to Yahweh uh, through the example of His Son Yeshua, the Son of God. So you baptize into their authority, which is what's referred to in Matthew twenty eight nineteen as their name, right? So that's why you would baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the same authority concept that you're submitting to to start discipling after their behavior. We don't baptize it. Moses Moses practiced the same behavior that you and I do. So like, yeah. it's, he doesn't have any special authority. That's Judaism. Don't don't fall for Judaism, guys. Loray is asking. This will be our last question, guys. Loray is asking: Is there going to be a great revival before Messiah returns? Guys, be encouraged. We're in it. Yeah, it's happening. We're in it now. It's happening. Like right now, you're in it. Yeah. But no, it's not a tent put up up, up in a field. And a bunch of people taking off of work and staying for seven days 
and and talking about how they had a great time at the revival in the tent or at some church like they did back in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus movement. People would take off for two weeks and just go to, to church every day. That's that's not the definition of a revival. A revival is the culture, the people turning back to the commandments of God. You're in the revival right now. The revival will not be televised, guys. You're yes, in it and, right now. And it is prophesied. It's prophesied in Deuteronomy 30. It says that we will recall his ways while while we're scattered among the nations. We'll recall his ways. And it also it's Jubilees 1 or 2. Yeah. says that his people will remember his ways and they will will basically regret regret that we forgot his ways for all those all that time so yeah. yes it's happening right now as we speak so so be encouraged yeah. go spread the revival share with people the yeah. truth of fullness the harvest of the scriptures. is plenty but the that laborers are few it's very simple guys take away the t the tour words take away the you know the church words just boil it down to behavior yeah. Are you doing the behavior of the Creator and His Son or not? It's that simple. Those are the people getting in the kingdom. Those are the people that He considers disciples. That's all we have to share with people to tell them, look, go do this behavior, practice in, and this is where they show their belief that He is real by practicing His behavior. This is faith exerted through fear and trembling, guys. So this is yeah. it's very simple, very simple. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, just for anyone who wasn't here at the beginning of the show, as we wrap up, I just want to remind people that we have been trying to help out our sister Casey, um, who lost her home in a tornado, and the link for her fundraiser is in the description. We're almost at the goal that we set for her, so if anyone wants to help us reach that goal, we really appreciate it, and thank you so much to everyone who's already donated. You guys just blow me away every single time, and I honestly, like, just brings me to tears. So we just appreciate so much the love that you show when we bring people's needs before you. And we just feel like we can always count on you guys to help each other out. And that's just such a wonderful feeling. Yeah. So thank you so much. And uh, just remember you're, you know, building those rewards in heaven. So the father really appreciates it too. He really, really appreciates it. He so. does. Man, it'd be nice if it was like an online system where people could help each other out. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. If you're celebrating Shabbat, may you have a wonderful day of rest. Focus on the Father. Enjoy your Sabbath. You ready? Shalom. Love you guys. Bye, guys. Bye. We'll see you next time.